Welcome to the Profitable Farmer Podcast, where it's all about increasing the profitability of your farm by working smarter, not harder. G'day and welcome again to Profitable Farmer. I hope this season is unfolding well for you already. We find ourselves in a pretty interesting situation on the back of strong commodity prices last year. We're dusting ourselves off post-COVID. We find ourselves in wartime and there's a lot of conversation at the moment around about high input um, costs across commodities and enterprises. And um, I was actually at a buying group meeting that I've become a member of recently and Tim Callan the branch manager at Cootamundra presented to us and presented a really um, compelling overview of what's playing out for all of us in our supply chains at the moment. And I've invited Tim to join us to um, connect and go through some of those broad categories and and what Nutrien as a company are seeing and how that's playing out practically um, as we get into our new season. So welcome, Tim, and thanks for joining us. All right. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. And I've also asked Greg Johnson, one of the co-founders of Farm Owners Academy, to be part of this conversation. And actually, sort of, as we go through this, to explore what it means and how we can practically manage um, in our current reality, where we're seeing strong commodity prices combined with strong input prices. So, Greg, thanks for joining us once again. Thanks, Jeremy, and welcome, everyone. So, Tim, to launch in, um, would you mind just giving us your snapshot of what's playing out um, in supply chains, I presume that it's sort of compounded with COVID and logistics and you know challenges getting stuff into the country. But would you mind just giving us a snapshot of what you're seeing? Yeah, no worries. It's um, yeah, obviously the last couple of years with COVID has been a challenge across the supply chain. Trying to get stuff into Australia has been difficult with shipping um, and obviously COVID restrictions, but. What I might do is just sort of just bounce around across different um, sections of our our business, um, just touch on seed and ag chem and fertiliser. Um, so dive into seed. Um, it's pretty topical at the moment with everyone just uh, about to start planting canola. Um, a lot of grazing wheat's going in on the back of a bit of rain as well at this stage. Um, we've seen um, a lot of the grazing canola is sort of now in the ground and starting to come up. Um, some people are even close to getting a first graze off that, but it was quite difficult supply-wise this year. Um, we found that overseas, a lot of the production failed or had shorts and issues with air freight into the country. So as a result, we've seen some lines of grazing canola actually come back at cost to the grower over $50 per kilo, which is a $20 per kilo price rise for um, what we traditionally see. Um, we managed to get most of it in the ground with um, different varieties, but um, but yeah, it was definitely a tight um, tight run there with uh, supply coming in late by the time it did get here. Um, as we move now into the more of the um, main season canola, uh, a lot of the TT and um, Clearfield varieties have been okay for supply for the longer season. Um, in our particular area, we saw the shorter season varieties a lot harder to source. And I think the majority of that has come down to the high demand for canola. Um, people last year had really good pricing off the back of 2021, and it uh, looks pretty good optimistic prices for 2022. So there has been a lot of the canola sown or look to be sown this year just on the back of these high, high commodity prices. Um, we say that hopefully we'll have supply for most varieties. I know there is a few lines that have 
either failed um, or didn't uh, weren't able to actually hit here in time. Um, so that could be interesting to see how they go forward in the future. Um, as far as pasture seed, um, we've got most of pasture seed lines have been been fine to get this year. Um, we've had no real issues there, but uh, it could be a uh, little bit tight towards the end with some of the flavours, but a lot of that new season production has now started to come online and being cleaned and treated and, and arriving in store now. Um, in terms of our chem, um, we're seeing a significant price rises across the board. Um, I'll just run through a few, like triolate has gone up by 11%, propizomide 30%, atrazine, simazine up 50%, turbine 41%, now, some of our MCPAs, LVE, up 26%. Um, Lethodim, one of our major ones for Kanawha, has uh, close to double. And even Montreal has been up 16%. So price rises across there have been significant, and that's the uh, majority of the products. I wouldn't say it's a minority. It's um, across the board there has been some form of price increase. So is, a lot of that... Is that an access issue, Tim, just challenges getting it into the country? Yeah, definitely. Like... A lot of our, um, our chemical tech and even finished product actually comes out of China. So majority of the products coming out of there is all shipped or ordered um, by chemical companies in that last quarter of 2021. So they're buying this product in October to December to actually get it here in time for Australia to be on farm for our sowing, um, sowing period now. So a lot of that product has been purchased back then. And if we think back to October to December last year, that we were still quite in COVID, especially in China on the lead up to their, their um, Winter Olympics. They had um, quite severe lockdowns for COVID to reduce the COVID. Um, there, we saw it in Australia that we had um, restrictions between states, but over there they had restrictions between their provinces. And a lot of that was very, a lot more strict than us. There was no transport across there. so. Some of the, the original tech that needs to move across borders in China to actually be made into the final product weren't able to be moved, that um, reduced in the actual how much could be produced and how much we ended up with. They also had issues um, just in power shortages. Um, there was, uh, yeah, complete provinces that were locked down or weren't able to access power. So while those factories were shut down, they weren't able to actually produce anything. Um, then that led to... Um, the issues on the wharf, on the docks, there was um, great big backlogs of um, shipping coming out of China and then also actually getting onto boats and to Australia. We, we saw like a, a general container that has tripled in price in the last two years to what we normally normally see for normal freight. So that obviously carries back across the products that we do bring in from China. Um, so it's uh, made it difficult in that, that point of view. Um, even though we had some... Um, issues with those uh, thought that there could be shortages in some of these products, but we found that it hasn't been the case. We've been able to, I think we learned from, from last year where we did have the product shortages, that whereas this year we've learned that to get our product in a little bit earlier than what we need to expect for it. So we've seen a lot of that come in, even though it has been here, but it has not been the big shortages that we all think there might have been. Even products like propizomide that we thought were short, uh, we weren't going to have enough of has actually started to free up in the last couple of weeks. There's, um, there, there seems to be enough with in in the supply chain to be able to cover most of the orders. So, so as a point of view for chemical, it's um, it's been pretty um, supplies there, but price is the big thing. So, saying that, um, I think a lot of the um, 
the talk was that there were, especially glyphosate, like uh, we're paying over $13 a litre for glyphosate. Um, there is talk that by the time we get to May, June, uh, that pricing will start to come off. Um, so probably my advice to a lot of the growers would be that to only uh, source the chemical that you might need this year and um, and only use that for this year as it could be cheaper. The, the way it's looking, it's looking like by the time we get to October, December 2022, um, pricing will be back so that the product for 2023 could be cheaper. So um, only use what you need essentially in that space. So, so Tim, you don't think that the current um, outbreak of Omicron in China and the uh, you know, re-imposition of a heap of heap more restrictions and so forth is going to have a, any potential issues um, going forward this year? Potentially, Australia, as I said, sort of Australia market is really focused on buying periods in that October to December, which is depends on how the, the China pursue their COVID zero and how much they do go in that regard. Um, if, if the factories aren't being shut down, a lot of the, lot of the actual factories are in individual provinces a lot of the chemical actually comes out of one or two provinces in China, so it depends particularly on those areas how they're impacted by this. But um, if we're to see that, um, yeah, if lockdowns do still occur, then I think we've learned that we need to be a lot more planned further ahead to ensure that we have enough time to get those products from China to Australia and get it to the farmer on time. So let's get into the all-important fertiliser conversation. Yeah. yeah, so fertiliser has been, uh, people will remember sort of late in December that there was a big call that MAP was going to be short. Um, people were were worried. Um, the pricing went through the roof. Um, we're seeing that as a result of some of the, due to the China export ban on phosphate. So that had a result on MAP. But currently as we sit, I think a lot of our MAP is currently in the country. Um, it's it's here. It's available at the moment. And we see the, the pricing globally has continued to rise, but it has not changed all that much in Australia, which I think is the result that the product is physically here in Australia and the pricing has been set. So there's um, it's either been ordered or it's still um, still sitting here in Australia. Um, in Urea, which is probably the big one, um, which has been um, going forward will be, I think, the biggest impact on, on farming this year. Um, we've seen prices was high in December. Urea pricing was quite high. It started to come off in sort of early January, and then we see the Russia-Ukraine um, war breakout, and that had major impacts on on supply chain. So, for those who don't know, Russia is one of the um, one, a major player in the fertilizer market. They produce over twenty four percent of the world's ammonium exports, and even twelve percent of the global urea supply. So, as soon as we started sanctions and um, and stop buying from Russia, all of a sudden there was a global shortage of at least 12%. Um, the other impacts that happened along those lines was uh, the energy costs. Uh, a lot of uh, oil, um, natural gas comes from Russia. So across the world, if that is a short or there are extra um, sanctions placed on those um, those uh, commodities, then that has impact on cost of production in other countries, not just in Russia, but elsewhere in the world. So that has seen a rush around the world, the, the scramble to try and find that shortfall um, and has resulted in urea pricing skyrocketing again right up to through the point. In the last couple of weeks, we've seen it stabilise to a degree. Uh, it's still sort of sitting in that, um, probably landed back here at Kirtamundra, we'll be still looking in that, the 1600s for 
the urea back here at this stage. Um, it does depend a lot what will happen in, in Russia and Ukraine, how much, uh, how long the war uh, progresses. Um, but in, it's not too far off for our growers to be starting to spread some urea and getting that onto, onto emerging crops. So, um, so unfortunately, that's um, about where we sit today. Tim, with that, do you predict that we'll all be able to get what we need or is there going to be a shortage? Yeah, there could be. So there is that hesitation by the grower not jumping in to buy fertiliser at this price, which has made the fertiliser companies nervous. They're, they don't want to put ships on the water unless they know they've got them sold. So if there is an increase in demand above what the fertiliser companies have forecast, then yes, I think there could be definitely a shortage. Um, if we decide that we do need to start finding way up, it possibly not, might not be there for when we do need it. It's a, yeah, a bit of a never-ending circle, that one. Yeah, it's really interesting. Greg, what's your take on, on this? Yeah, well, I, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? It's, um, it's, it's a natural, I think, um, reaction when you see in, uh, critical input prices uh, go up to the degree that they have gone up. Um, but I think that, you know, it's, it, it's easy to lose sight of reality. Um, uh, the, the, I guess the concern I have in industry at the moment is that, uh, yeah, we've got some, you know, significant, very significant price increases in origin and some less less significant um, increases in spray costs. But we've also we're also looking at, you know, record high prices for commodities as well for you know wheat and canola and so forth at, at, at ridiculous prices. And so uh, when you look back over historical terms and say so that you know you've got to always frame the the costs against the the potential um, income and look at the margins. And I think I'll talk a bit more about this a bit later on, but. Um, you know, if we if we lose sight of the margin, <clears throat> farming for the margin, then um, potentially we, we we're just concentrating on the wrong thing. And you know, and um, yes, urea at sixteen hundred bucks a ton is expensive, but it may not be expensive for a lot of producers when they're getting you know four hundred dollars for uh, plus uh, per ton for their wheat. So, so um, I think it's it's it, it, what it does do is it it probably requires uh, croppers to have a. a Probably a better understanding of what they're doing and what the potentials are in, in their in their cropping paddocks and the crops they're growing, um, in terms of what's the you know what's the response what's the potential for the crop to yield with um, with with residual nitrogen that's already um, stored in the in the ground um, and available to the plants and then what's the responsiveness of that crop to applied nitrogen um, during the growing uh, period, um, uh, you know given different rainfall scenarios. So so there are fortunately there's a really handy tool that you guys can latch into and, and have a good look at. We'll talk a bit more about it in a minute, I think, Jeremy. Absolutely. So, Greg, at a high level first, um, stick with the rotation that you were planning before sort of these price increases or is there the ability or would you, you know, suggest we need to be looking at adapting to perhaps to lower risk and lower cost um, crop types? Look, I think it's very much a horses for courses scenario and, and um this is where, you know, um, if you're working with an agronomist, a specialist, you need to be um, having that conversation with them. I'm not a, I'm not a cropping agronomist. I don't even pretend to be one. Um, but, you know, that's what that's part of their job is to is to really help you to make decisions around, you know, what what is the best scenario in this in these circumstances. But, you know, I, I know for a fact that there's going to be, you know, there's, there's quite a few farms, particularly on the east coast, who are coming out of or coming into the uh, into the sowing season with um, with pretty pretty full moisture profiles. So they're set up for pretty big yields if we get a, even a half average um, sort of a season in those areas. And so it would be a shame to lose the opportunity to 
to capitalise on a, on, a, on a good margin. I'm not saying a high, the highest yield. I'm, I'm talking about the highest margin uh, for the crops they're growing and, and understanding how to, how to achieve and what that, what that highest margin crop looks like. Um, you know, it just requires a, a, bit of, a bit of work in the office, I think. Thanks, Greg. You mentioned farming for margin. Can you just expand on that a bit? What do you mean by that? A lot of people focus purely on optimal or more even maximum yield um, almost at any cost. Um, what do you mean by farming for margin and, and how do you explain that to the layman? Yeah, so this, I mean, the principle applies to all, all farming activities uh, that, we, that we undertake. And, and that is that, you know, there are critical inputs that you'll put into a, any sort of a farming system that will in, increase the output. So, for example, in, you know, in, in cereal cropping, it's, it's, you know, it's an origin application. Um, in grazing uh, enterprises, it's, it's, um, it's stocking rate and, and things like supplementary feed that tend to get um, you know, are, are associated directly with increases in stocking rate. And, and really, your art, the art for um, the successful farmer is to understand what is the, what is, what's their best marginal um, opportunity on the farm in that particular year. So, um, and, and in other words, the margin is the difference between the, the income you're generating and, and the total costs that are going into producing that, that commodity. And ideally, you want to be farming for the highest margin as much as possible. You want to be farming for the highest margin possible. Now, the highest margin is almost always not the highest yield. The highest yield you can you can always increase yield in pretty well every um, every farming commodity by just applying more input um, into it up up to a limit. But but you know normally that limit is well beyond the commercial reality. So um, but the the highest margin is often you know significantly below the highest yield, um, and it depends on you know what is the the highest margin depends on the price for the commodities that you can attract. Um, and and the um, and the costs of producing that commodity to that level of production, so um, and we tend to lose sight of farming for the margin. And, and when you farm, when when you farm for the highest margin, you also are farming for the lowest cost of production. So there's a different there's, there is a difference between being a low cost producer and being a low cost of production producer. If you're a low cost producer, you're just focused on minimising your costs, full stop. Um, and that doesn't mean you're going to be a low cost of production because if you if you sacrifice on expenses, um, particularly direct expenses, into any enterprise, and it results in lower productivity, then potentially your cost per unit output is higher than somebody else who might have a higher um, cost per hectare um, to produce the commodity, but produces a lot more of the commodity um, um, uh, per, per unit area. So, so in the end, the, the, the most successful farmers are the lowest cost of production producers. They're not necessarily the lowest cost producers. And so, you know, this is a classic scenario, I think, that we've got at the moment a perfect storm for the cropping business uh, businesses in that we've got these high um, higher input prices uh, for uh, critical commodities uh, like urea um, that are, are no doubt you know will have a, a significant can have a significant impact on the margin um, that people can produce and understanding what is the, you know what is the best yield um, for let's say a wheat crop um, in, in in a paddock that I'm that I'm growing um, that wheat in. What's the, what's the ideal yield that's going to give me the highest margin? And it won't necessarily be. And in fact, it definitely won't be the highest, um, the highest um, uh, yield that you could attain, but it's going to be the highest marginal yield that we're looking at. So when you're doing the numbers on this, Greg, it's not looking at it on a per hectare basis, it's looking at it on a per tonne basis. Yeah, basically you're looking at it on a per tonne basis because in the end you've got, you know, you've got fixed costs and, and they stay the same on a per hectare basis. Whatever the whatever the um, um, the yield is that you produce out of that crop, and then you've got the direct costs, which of which fertilizer sprays, 
you know, your chemical costs and and um, and seed and so forth are all uh, part of that direct cost. And and so you know, if you're farming for um, in a situation where you are um, potentially sacrificing yield because you're not applying enough in-crop nitrogen, then the sure you're saving on the direct cost, but the overhead cost per ton go up. Uh, the overhead cost per hectare are fixed, but the overhead ton overhead cost per ton could could go up significantly because of that lower yield. Um, and so you've got to balance off. Um, you know, it's not you can't just do a gross margin because the the effect of changing yield um, in in changes to fertilizer inputs um, in responsive crops is going to have a, a fundamental um, make a fundamental change to the overall costs, particularly the overhead costs, which are typically overhead costs are typically you know fifty percent to sixty percent of the cost base. But they've got to be considered, don't they, in that they um, assessment of farming for margin. They have to be absolutely. It's, you you yeah. can't just do it at a gross margin level. Yep, Tim, calling on your agronomy background, have you got any comment on farming for margin and that you know perhaps maximum profit isn't necessarily best yield? Yeah, definitely. Like I think um, from an agronomy point of view, we we sit down, we start thinking about how much urea we'd need per uh, per ton of grain, how much it costs to produce that ton of grain. Um, it does start adding up pretty quickly for the farmer. And if we, especially based on last year, everyone, or last two years have been quite good seasons. So a lot of our nitrogen in the soil has been depleted. So urea will be required at some point to try and boost those crops. But what do we set the tonnage for our crops based on um, what's expected yields? Um, that's definitely one to think about is um, what's our, our goal to achieve and um, what are we happy with for tonnes? Um, per hectare in that regard. Um, I think yeah, definitely farmers should be looking at um, at deep end testing, working out what the urea requirements are and how much it's going to cost them to grow that crop. Um, there's a big plenty of people in my patch, which is more of a mixed uh, farming. We have a lot of livestock in our area. Um, a lot of people have actually even switched out some of the cropping into pasture phases just to, to capitalise on the high livestock pricing. Um, so that's definitely been some of the discussions that we've had. Um, people looking at alternative crops, um, growing uh, pulses to try and return some more nitrogen into the soil rather than um, just chasing um, high yields with urea. But, um, yeah, it's definitely something to think about as on a whole farm level what, um, what your program is. Yeah, great comment. You know, flexible farming systems and ones that can adapt to the season seem to be the ones that are the most resilient over time. And so, yeah, having that flex to be able to, as you say, bring in pulses or or return some country to grazing um, to capitalise on the livestock optimism that is out there. Absolutely, we've all got those options in our planning, don't we? Yeah, definitely, if you can afford the livestock. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Greg, um, would you mind speaking to the law of diminishing returns and even how that might apply when we look at how much nitrogen to apply to a, a paddock in this current climate? You know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, pretty much with all commodities that we produce, there's there is there are critical inputs that drive the output that uh, we get from from that commodity. So, and and every unit of input, extra input. So let's let's talk about it uh, specifically. Let's talk about it in a cropping sense, and let's talk about not in, in crop nitrogen. So for every uh, unit of nitrogen that you apply, there's there's a cost. There's a set cost per unit of nitrogen that depends on the price, and and then depending on the responsiveness of the crop. To that applied nitrogen, and that's a, you know there's a there's a that de- depends a lot on how much nitrogen is actually su- currently supplied to the crop, 
um, you know, is available to the crop, you know, what moisture is available and so forth. But depending on the responsiveness of that crop to, to that applied nitrogen, you'll get a, a yield response. And, and then, and so for every, every incremental increase in, uh, in units of nitrogen that are applied, you'll get a, a, an increase in the potential yield up to a point. But as you increase that, that nitrogen supply, um, you'll get, it's not a straight line, so that the actual response to, to the, the, the next increment of, of N um, might start to slow down. You might get as big a response to the next not, um, unit of N that you got to the previous unit. So let's talk about it in terms of, let's say, 10 kilograms of N applied in crop applied. You know, the first 10, you'll get, the, you'll get a, uh, generally you'll get a significant response depending on what nitrogen is available already in the what nitrogen bank there is available. But you'll get a you know you'll get a response, and then the next ten you mightn't get quite as, as much response, and then the next ten you'll get less response again, and eventually you can get to the point where with some of these inputs the, it actually drives the, the the yield the other way negatively. But the point is that um, when you talk think, think about it from a crop a profit perspective, you've got each incremental increase in in input is costing you X amount, and it's driving a certain amount of revenue increase, and at the point where that revenue increase. There is a point where, where that revenue increase um, is less than the the actual cost of putting that extra unit of of, of, it, of input in. So, and from a profit perspective, it starts to tip the profit negative. So it's so it's this classic scenario in all commodities of that of diminishing of the law of diminishing returns. Initially, when you start putting in inputs into a system production system, um, it, it, it causes increases in, in productivity um, and, and and increases in profit. And then over time, or as you keep increase, um, adding those um, those inputs, um, you, you may continue to get production, but the the cost, the marginal cost of the next unit of input, um, is not met by um, the, the extra profit or the extra income that's being generated. So the profit curve actually goes negative. So when we're talking about you know the the, the optimal margin, if you like, the, or the marginal position to be in, um, the optimal marginal position to be in for any particular commodity, it's that. It's that point at which the law of diminishing return curve starts to flatten out. So initially, it'll be quite a steep response to the to the uh, inputs that are being put in, and then it starts to flatten out. So ideally, it's understanding where that um, where that point is, where the curve, the profit curve starts to flatten out, and that is dependent on um, it's dependent on the cost of the input, and it's dependent on the price of the output, um, and the responsiveness of the of the of the commodity production to the input you're putting in. So it's um and you know it's it's an art farming is an art and 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 understanding where that um that point is is really is the art of farming and fortunately now we have particularly in the cropping space we have a fantastic tool um, called Yield Profit which is um, was put out in um, in conjunction with CSIRO in conjunction with the Birch Cropping Group uh, it's a public tool that anybody can access um, it's subscription based but you can access it, they can access it and. And, and it's designed to give people clear visibility about what the, their, the responsiveness of their paddocks or their crop paddocks will be um, to, um, particularly if you're looking at N, um, to, to apply it N, um, and, and the risk around that because it uses climate and soil models uh, specific to your farm that, uh, that also allows a prediction of the risk of achievement of certain um, yield outcomes. So it's, it's, it's an amazing tool that... Um, basically, is the front end for APSIM, which is the um, which is APSIM is the cropping farming simulation model that uh, that CSRO have spent many years putting together, and 
And it really is an amazing tool for allowing um, agronomists and farmers to be able to really look at their crop crops, uh, their cropping paddocks, um, and and get a really good handle on firstly what is the potential yield um, for the, the the paddock now based on um, understanding what the soil type is, and then using soil tests to work out, um, as Tim said, look at what your what your deep nitrogen um, bank is uh, now without any more applied nitrogen. Um, what's the um, and what's the sort of um, you know the water holding capacity of the soil, which is based on the on the uh, on the, the soil type that's, that you're growing the crops in. What's the uh, current uh, moisture um, profile within the soil, so that all those things determine obviously at the start of the year determine the potential yield um, given certain uh, rainfall years, and then the, the model uses 100 over 100 years of rainfall data and climate data to predict the risk around delivery of, of, of the yield, what the yields can be and the risk of delivery of those yields. And, and then you're able, you know, once you've got that sort of um, that sort of simulation set up for your cropping paddocks, then you can apply, um, you can you can overlay a, a nitrogen application model and you can look at the uh, at what is the return uh, based on any sort of number that you're putting in for the price of nitrogen. Uh, you know, what is the what is the potential uh, return on the on that um, Money being invested, and what's the risk around generating that return? It's an amazing tool, and really, uh, it takes for those of who are not using it in Australia, probably quite a few aren't. Um, it takes the um, decision making around the things we're talking about today to a, another level. So, just to be clear on that, it's yield profit, P R O P H E T. Yes, correct. Okay. So, just Google yield profit; you'll it'll be the first one that will come up. Yep. Yep. Thanks, Greg. Tim, um, yeah, in your time in agronomy, you've obviously come across models like this. Have you worked with your profit and um, is it something you'd recommend? Yeah, definitely. Uh, going through Union, that we did use to play with APSIN, which is the, the crop side of um, you plug in what your, um, your regional rainfall um, based on what uh, past yields and what your potential is. That gave you some numbers um, and your profit's probably a easier, um, easier system to use. But um, it looks towards uh, what, like Greg said, what do you expect your property is? What's the, uh, what's the yield you're trying to achieve and, um, and what you need to do to work towards that yield? Is it within the scope? Are we going to have enough rainfall to cover that? Is there going to be enough moisture around? Um, yeah, have we got the inputs? Have we got the nitrogen? Have we got MAP? Is it, is it there right to go? And the only way to know truly is um, do a test to start with to give you a starting base work out what you want to try and to achieve and then uh, work your rates um, out based on that. So, yeah, it's definitely a handy tool. I've played with it um, and, uh, yeah, it's definitely worth a look at. So to both of you, when we start using tools like this and start analysing, um, you know, the appropriate or the optimum amount of N to apply in a year like this when it's at $1,600 a tonne or thereabouts, um, we had a year last year where everyone probably went all out because it was all looking so favourable. And then we had a wet finish and downgrades and, you know, penalties and all of those um, challenges. Greg, do you put in maximum income or do you, when, you, when you're looking at this, do you factor in the risk of, um, you know, a, an average finish or a, a downgrade? Look, there's always... Going to be risks around frost and and those you know and harvest rainfall events and so forth that 
basically can't be simulated because they're chance events, right? So, so I mean, uh, your your profit does um, does uh, present or yes, it does present a, a frost risk and uh, and a um, and a, 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 like a thermal risk, um, and that's you know dependent on location and the climate the 100 years of climate data or 100 plus years of climate data for that location and and sowing time um and the crop variety so so they all come into play within the within the um the, the application itself but you know but critical frost events that occur at the wrong time i mean they're, they're impossible to forecast right so and it also doesn't it doesn't um it can't take account of um poor agronomy um you know poor weed control um you know um other events like that so so unfortunately, that they they have to be factored in through a bit of intuition and experience, I guess. Um, but you know, in the end, um, everyone will know their farms uh, the best, and they will probably understand what their what the risks are of those sorts of scenarios happening. Um, we'd be pretty stiff to get it two years in a row, I believe, and get a wet harvest two years in a row. But um, you know, never say never, right? But um, you know, I think in the end, it's it's those sorts of things are chance events that when they come along, they come along. So in all of this, it just highlights the importance, you know, from to me of making sure you've got the right advisors around you. Um, and as you've both mentioned, having those agronomists that understand farming for margin and understanding optimum, not maximum. Um, and then secondly, as you mentioned, Greg, get into the office, get the right tools around you and actually crunch the numbers so you're not just making, you know, from the hip style decisions around really big investments this year um, like nitrogen. So, Greg, have you got any other comments on that before we, we move on? Yeah, I just think that, you know, this is a year when for a lot of, um, particularly Eastern Australia, there they, potentially there are there could be, you know, very significant margins that, that are not captured because people are afraid of the input costs. So I think we just need to be careful, that, you know, that we're just considering the whole picture, not, not just focusing on one part of the picture, and that is, you know, the input cost of, of urea or, or fertiliser or the input cost of sprays. We've got to look at the whole picture. Um, you know, what is the, what is the um, what's the yield potential? You know, what, what prices can we expect? And if you're worried about, whether current prices will be there at harvest, then you know, then maybe think about and you're going to commit to, you know, to, to, to trying to grow a crop that you believe will give you the best margin based on the evidence you've put together, then then maybe think about some forward pricing opportunities to, you know, so that you're locking in those prices so that you're not, you know, you're not going to get caught with a significant uh, downturn in pricing that's going to leave you leave you adrift. So um, and I think the other comment I want to make is that these principles apply equally well to to, to grazing enterprises. So, you know, we had a Obviously, a lot of Australia's been through a significant drought a few years ago, and and you know, but 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 it was also accompanied by really significantly good commodity prices as well. And so, I think applying the same sorts of scenarios to things like supplementary feed and supplementary feed costs, you know, and understanding um, the ramifications of 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 holding and and feeding stock versus selling, um, and and those sorts of things, they're just they're just important ways of being able to make the best decisions around about around maximizing the, the the upside margins or minimizing the downside margins when it comes to you know loss making years if you're in that environment thanks greg yeah make sure we're looking at the whole picture i mean unprecedented canola and commodity prices received and there's real optimism around that this year just make sure that you're looking at the whole picture when you're making decisions about um the the farming system you're running with 
Tim, have you got a comment there? Yeah, I think like uh, one thing that I see year in year out is timing. Like uh, we talk about a lot of the resources out there, the DPI, they do a great job on their phenology work, Felicity Harris in, in Wagga and uh, Rowan Brewer. They've done a lot of work in actually working out when is the optimum sowing period for some of our varieties that we choose to use. And they might be the, the best yielding variety, but unless you get them in their sowing period, a lot of that potential is not, not achieved. So I think, as we say, we, we focus a lot on the actual commodity prices and the inputs, but also the management side of things, getting your crop in on time, in the right time frame, and even as strategic applications, if your crop's struggling, it's been waterlogged, an application you rear at the right time might be a bigger um, hit to um, to give you a better production than, than just putting it on at some point. So putting it at the right time when it's needed is, is definitely a um, big part of it. Thanks, Tim. So, Tim, just while we have you, other um, input categories, are, are there any others there that you wanted to speak to and, and you know, just to, to touch base on what's playing out in their supply chains? Yeah, so another big one that we're seeing at the moment is that there's been rising in the in the, the fencing. Um, what about there has been a high demand, I think, coming off the back of last year, there has been some money in the network. So people are looking at uh, infrastructure, what they can put in, how they can improve that, what they have. So... A lot of fencing that's caused a bit of a shortage. Um, there is a bit of a lead time on new um, new fencing orders. Um, also, the floods up north has had a bit of an impact there. There's a lot of people um, that wouldn't normally be um, be fencing uh, looking for materials at this stage. So uh, that has resulted in a bit of a um, delay in product coming into store and also um, price increases. There's um, yeah, only just the other day we had an eight percent price rise um, in some of the fencing material. Um, that's just uh, from supply and demand. Um, uh, in animal health, um, we have seen um, it hasn't been as, a crop, as bad as crop chem for product supply. We've been able to manage to get most things, but um, particularly in our area, we've seen a quite a, um, a big year of fly, um, fly and worm burden. So, so product um, has been going up to, um, to treat these. So there has been some pressures on um, some of the gene products and along those lines has um, has definitely been an issue. Um, but, but yeah, going forward, we see most other sections of the, the business that um, should be fine going ahead. It's uh, mainly been the, the fertiliser and crop chem that has been our, our biggest um, biggest impact. But freight, freight is another one that has, um, has increased significantly with fuel pricing each time, even though we our product might have might not have increased, there's um, the cost of getting it here, depending on where it's been shipped from. Um, there's definitely uh, fuel levies have been making a big impact on what it costs to get a pallet from out of Melbourne or out of Sydney. So that's, um, yeah, a big impact as well. Thanks, Tim. Yeah, it just highlights the uh, importance of being well-organised, well-planned ahead of time um, with your orders in. Um, and as Greg touched on, with commodity prices um, strong and with the optimism that's out there, just make sure you're doing your numbers and looking at the whole picture. Um, sure, there are high input prices at the moment, but um, relative to the income we can achieve, um, you know, keep being analytical and keep being confident in your decision-making. Greg, comment from you just to finish off. No, I think you summed it up pretty well there, Jeremy. That that really is the key for me. It's... Um, now more than ever is a is a it's a great year for people to be, you know, really focusing in on 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 spending the time on the numbers and 
And, you know, if they can't, if you're struggling to get it sorted out yourself, then bring some people in around you that can help you make good decisions um, because, you know, there, there certainly is an opportunity to spend a lot of money this year uh, and uh, and not necessarily get the return. By the same token, I think there's the opportunity to, to make some fantastic returns. And so uh, I'd hate to see the, those sorts of, you know, those opportunities get missed out on. And I know there was a, you know, there was a, um, a map produced um, a while back by a, by a business that looks at um, at the sort of in the cropping space, it looks at the percentage of um, potential yield that's being achieved in the cropping businesses across Australia. Um, the map was produced for the last twenty years, I believe, and you know large areas of the of the country have only averaged about thirty six percent of the potential yield um, over that over that twenty year period. So it's like there's there's a lot of opportunities right across the country to to really look at what's happening in the cropping space and 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 potentially do a better job with the moisture that's available. Um, and, but always do it, as I say, with a, with a, a very keen eye on, on where's the best margin. So interesting, Greg. Thank you. Um, Tim, thank you very much for your time. It's great to have that broad overview of what's played out as a result of COVID, Ukraine, um, logistics, and now, I guess, um, adjustments to pricing as we roll into the new season. So thanks so much for your time. And no worries. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, and all the best to the growers for the season. Thanks, Tim. And, yeah, Greg, thank you for um, your comments, as always. And just um, a reminder to all of you to, to go and have a look at tools like Yield Profit, um, Yield Profit, P-R-O-P-H-E-T, um, and make sure that you are crunching the numbers as you go about some of these key decisions for this new season. Um, thanks, Greg. Cheers. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Tim. Cheers. Take care, guys. All the best for sowing um, and this season. Bye for now.